0: friends and relatives welcome back to another episode of all my relations we're so happy you're here hello good morning good afternoon good evening hello hello we have a really great episode for you today we're talking with thosh collins and chelsea luger of the welfare culture initiative
1: They are two of our friends and colleagues who we have known for a long time um, in different eras of their life. Um, And we recorded this episode a few months ago, back when Matika was still pregnant. So it was a really amazing opportunity to talk with them about the work that they do um, in thinking about wellness from a really kind of holistic perspective, an indigenous perspective, and how that takes into account what we eat, how we move our bodies, what we think about, especially during uh, the time of life that Matika was in and that Chelsea had been in not long um, before her. So we were bonus double excited uh, because we knew we had this episode coming and a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times, there was an article about food movements in Indian country. And it featured um, some really beautiful photographs of Thosh and Chelsea and their daughter, Aloe, um, and talked to them a little bit about the work they do. So we thought that could be a really great entry point into our conversation, uh, thinking that many people might have encountered their work recently in the New York Times. But then Matika and I started actually reading the article. And uh, the article did... Well, it did what we always
0: see, which is that it reinforced that poverty porn narrative, and it framed Native people, you know, from this perspective that put them in a place of of danger, of survivalism, of ex- extinction. I think it's essentially another extinction narrative almost. And so, I'd be really interested, Adrian, and in, in wondering how you might frame that if you were going to let's say, write this article for the New York Times?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, okay, so... I'm someone in my education research world, I think a lot about what we call deficit framing. And it's something that um, you see a lot in research about, quote unquote, marginalized communities, about Native students in particular, um, where our communities, our students, are whoever we're talking about, are always framed as lacking, as um as needing interventions, as needing uh, resources, as being just framed as in a deficit um, perspective. And the difference between a deficit perspective and then one that is more in my work, I use the word goodness focused or like um, asset based is looking at things from a position of strength and what communities already have and what they're bringing to the table. And so this article is from the beginning. It's called How Native Americans Are Fighting a Food Crisis. And the subtitle is, As the coronavirus limits access to food, many are relying on customs like seed saving and canning that helped their forebears survive hard times. So from the start, it's framed as though the coronavirus is what is causing a food crisis in Indian country. And because of this moment, all of a sudden people are returning to ancestral knowledges and traditional customs, quote unquote, which is like a word I hate. Um, It's very anthropological. But they go on to um, the reporter interviews people that are incredible leaders in these areas, in their communities, folks that she actually uh, got access to a lot of the names from my friend and colleague, Liz Hoover, who is an incredible food sovereignty researcher. Who is not mentioned anywhere in the article? Um, But uh, the folks that are profiled in here are people that we know their their names through this work. Um, Milo Yellowhair, Rowan White, Thosh and Chelsea, Rebecca and Stephen Webster in Oneida, uh, folks in San Carlos. Like it's just a, a list of really incredible leaders. But they're all framed as there's a crisis and they are reacting to it rather than if I would have written this article to your question, I very clearly would have framed this as. Here is a moment where we are worried about the food supply chain in what is currently known as the United States. And here's a chance for us to look to indigenous communities as leaders in how to take care of one another and how to use ancestral and traditional knowledges uh, that have always been there uh, to lead us through This moment and into a future that looks different than what we have now, a better and brighter future around our food and food security, because a lot of these communities that are profiled here actually like aren't in a moment of crisis around their food systems. They are just shifting their policies and practices to adjust to what people are needing right now. And that's a beautiful model that a lot of communities could be learning from, like the work that Brian Yazzie is doing in Minneapolis around feeding uh, urban elders and community members through um, traditional foods, that in itself is an amazing story. And instead, it's just a little blip in this article about how he didn't have any catering jobs, so started volunteering. So I just think the framing of it mm-hmm. overall could have really been from this point of strength, talking about that our communities know how to help one another, know the power of traditional foods, know how to work with the land that they live on, uh, all of these things that are really important lessons for everyone, rather than framing it as some sort of food crisis. And yes, like we do have food insecurity in Indian country. There's also a lot of amazing lessons that can be learned from the work that these folks have been doing for decades. This isn't something that just popped up in the last few months. This is lifetimes of work that people have been putting in to get us to this point, to be able to access those resources and serve our communities in the ways that they need.
0: Right. Like the the ability, I, I noticed in this article that they talk about some Alaska fishermen and hunters and that... These folks are doing this, you know, to prepare for crisis. And when in fact, we know, especially I I being able to relate to fishing culture, that we go fishing and put up food every winter (laughs) and every springtime. You know, it's something that my family has been doing for generations and our communities have been doing generations. And it's a part of the intergenerational knowledge that we uh, highly Value in our communities. I was taken back when I read the blip about Rowan White because Rowan White is one of those women that, A, I hope mm-hmm. we can introduce you to on this podcast, but B, I think of as a shero. She's one of my, she's one of the most inspiring women I've ever encountered in all of Indian country. I had the privilege of taking one of her seed-saving workshops and I was so moved by her indigenous intelligence her connection to land and her connection to seeds and how empowering and empowered I felt after spending just one afternoon with her where she gave me seeds and made me feel like it was okay to grow them and how that was important. And she's been doing this work for a very long time and she started a whole food sovereignty movement along with Liz and others. And in this article it it talks about her growing heirloom seeds which is i think (laughs) it's just wrong because she doesn't grow heirloom seeds she grows (laughs) pre-colonized seeds (laughs) you know she she grows ancestral seeds and and you know it also says that she's doing this as a as a response to closed casino revenue, which is so silly. Rowan's been doing this, empowering the people because the people need it and because she was called to do this work and because she's been doing it for a really long time. And I don't want to speak for her, you know, but I just, I'm really disappointed with the way that we are continuously framed in massive media, in mass media, especially in this New York Times article. I really hope that there will come a time that maybe instead you get to write the article not an, an outsider writing it for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, that, However, that is not what this, right. article, this <laughs> podcast is not about.
1: This, <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent, but I do feel like it's important because we know that food and wellness are so integrally connected in uh, Indian country that we can't think about wellness without thinking about what we put into our bodies, the food that we eat. And we have an amazing episode with Valerie Seagrest in season one, if folks want to hear more about food sovereignty in particular. But if we're thinking about wellness as a whole and the work that welfare culture and Thosh and Chelsea are doing, food is intimately tied with that. And this could have been a really great opportunity Um, But this is the message that most people have about what wellness looks like in Indian country, that it is a crisis, that it is a response to a crisis, that it's something that's about the perilous conditions and poverty and all these things that we hear over and over. But when you hear this conversation with Dosh and Chelsea, you'll see it's so... Different than that. And the way that they approach this work is so beautiful and important, and draws upon so many teachings and lessons, and is really about such a different perspective on how to live a good life. It's not about just responding to a crisis. It's not about the deficits Mm -hmm. in our community. It's about celebrating the strengths and the knowledge and the traditions and everything that we as Native people bring to the table, (laughs) literally and figuratively, um, around these ideas of taking care of ourselves. So it just... I think it's important for us to talk about like Mm -hmm. the outside framing of this movement, this wellness kind of push in Indian country is this article in the New York Times, is this sort of deficit negative perspective. But from within our communities, from the folks who are doing this work, it's a very different perspective. So now our audience, maybe some of them read the article, but now they get to hear from Thosh and Chelsea firsthand about their work in an in-depth way so hopefully that can offer the sort of counter story the counter narrative what's really going on
0: and you know this conversation is just a glimpse into the work that they do they have incredible resources on their website welfareculture.com and around food, they have this whole area called ancestral foodways. They talk about what is ancestral eating? What is our connection and our spiritual relationship with food? How has the impact of colonization affected our ancestral foodways? And then they talk about how to make the shift to eating real food, identifying real ancestral foods. The one thing I want to mention is that you know, this podcast is thinking about whole family wellness. And I I think when we started thinking about introducing these new topics and exploring topics, I thought that maybe there might be an answer. And then, you know, when we sit down and we talk with Thosh and Chelsea, we realize that they are not prescriptive. You know, like that there is no prescription that fits everyone's needs that they're in the process of investigating wellness practices just as we all are and i really appreciate that they approach their work in this way you know i i'm always taken back by their kindness and humility and you know i think the way that they approach wellness from like this really non-judgmental state is is just makes me feel really comfortable and safe talking about, you know, these things that can feel kind of vulnerable you know like my relationship with food or my relationship with land or my relationship with my body all those things can feel very vulnerable and so i, I feel like these guys do a really good job of of creating a safe space <laughs> and you know yeah. i don't i don't know if if we really answer the question fully about what whole family wellness is but rather the important part is that we ask the question <laughs>
2: Sorry. (laughs) All my relations. Let's just start by having you introduce yourselves the way you would to a large group of people. Mm Mm hmm. So I was born and raised in the area that is now known as North Dakota. I'm from the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa on my mom's side of the family. So I'm Anishinaabe and I'm Hunkpapa Lakota from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe on my dad's side of the family. Uh, I lived on the East Coast for a number of years where I went to uh, college at Dartmouth and I went to grad school at Columbia University for journalism. And I am now the mom to a one-year-old and the partner to Thosh and we live together in Phoenix, Arizona, where we run our our initiative called Well for Culture. So wellness is my passion. I'm also a writer and a journalist, uh, but pretty much everything I do now is like health and family related.
3: Hmm. Well, sab to everyone, to the both of you, and for those that haven't had a chance to meet Anya, polskikdash onak mirda otam javadamjood arjoun iya. Um, I'm from the Salt River people around this area right here and uh just happy to be here sappanta the happy to be sitting here to to be speaking with both of you and it's awesome and uh, you guys are one of our favorite podcasts and so we we are just honored to be here and wanted to say thank you to the both of you for the awesome work that you're doing with this and just around native country and the individual work you know I've, you know we've worked together Matika, in the past and i worked a little bit with you as well at college horizon so it's just awesome you know and awesome to be here in this this space to be able to be discussing more of these so very happy with that i also work with the uh, native wellness institute i'm a board member there um and i've been working with them now for about 10 years now and um like chelsea said one of the co-founders in our initiative that we call well for culture and and as chelsea had said as well um, wellness is something that's definitely my passion and and the wellness that's rooted within our people and ancestral ways is is something that um, i'm very passionate about and um just very um excited to try to share what little we know in this area of health and wellness and as it pertains to family as you said and we know that that's a big part of of our communities you know it's it's the the, the strong communities are built by our, our strong families and that's really the root of of healing and in the, the root of of preserving and maintaining evolving our indigeneity is our families and i think that's one of the most beautiful things we can put our energy and effort to um especially in a time like this you know when it's just we have so much going on in our world you know so
0: mm, my heart is full and i'm mm-hmm. happy <laughs> <laughs> dosh you know i uh, i think the other thing that's really cool is that you know you're a photographer and you danced mm-hmm. for years right mm-hmm. with your work with um rowan
3: mm-hmm. rule on the street dance b-boy crews and stuff like yeah. that yeah i
0: always <laughs> think about that when i think about this work you do too mm. Because it's kind of like, you know, this evolution of becoming this these these people like I like how Chelsea talks about, you know, going to Dartmouth and Columbia and becoming a mm-hmm. journalist and and then you yourself, it's like being a photographer mm-hmm. and working in an industry and it takes so many different skills mm-hmm. to put out content on a regular mm-hmm. basis absolutely. and you know you two have been developing those skills for a really long time mm-hmm. so maybe we could start just by having you talk a little about the origins of welfare culture mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and your purpose and how what that means to you individually
2: well we founded in 2014 shortly after thosh and i met actually we both were on our own individual healing and wellness journeys um And we came together as friends and we did this cool photo shoot where Thosh um, photographed me as like, it was, I don't know, at the time we were calling it like an urban warrior kind of thing. Um, But it was just this really cool uh, fitness shoot that we did in New York City. But meanwhile, we were having all these conversations talking about how, you know, healthy lifestyles really are congruent with our ancestral ways. Both of us were raised in ceremony, but both of us also kind of went to the wayside with that a little bit, um, you know, during our teens and twenties and, you know, moving away, both, both of us moving away from our reses and into cities and kind of just exploring the world. And, um, but eventually coming full circle back to that. And so it was really cool because Tasha and I connected as friends through that shared passion for connecting wellness with, with our culture. At the time, we realized that there wasn't a lot of imagery of healthy, active, strong native people, and we wanted to change that. And so we co-founded for Culture, and it started as a website and an Instagram and Facebook page, and then it quickly grew into um, basically this consulting business and then myriad other things that we do as well.
3: Yeah, and we got together because, like Chelsea had said, she was doing journalism and as you'd mentioned i was doing photography and i after a while i really wanted to start to kind of um you know help 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 with the movement that that you're contributing to with your work too is just to help to to portray this uh, our image you know what i mean that we do have in our communities that often doesn't get portrayed and so we started really like she said delving into that and We started really looking at it and, you know, I was coming from a perspective of coming from my community where diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular heart disease is really super high, you know, high in comparison to the non-native people that live at the border just a couple miles away. You know, the life expectancy is just like, the gap between it is, is, is insane. And so, you know, I was coming from it from that perspective that how we need to, we need to really reclaim our health and we need to put our health for first and foremost. And if we want our indigeneity to continue on and I was, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was moving my body exercising and training and I was really trying to draw those connections between that and, and being a part of a community. And, um, you know, we share a lot too of my personal observation is that, I watched the um the, the 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 community i guess involvement in ceremonial things that bring wellness and love and happiness de- decline because of poor health like people can't show up. So I just got really driven on this this thing like you know we need to we need to re- reclaim our health and when, in whatever way that is for people you know for me it was exercising and you know and trying to really you know strengthen my relationship to food and so we got together and we started man this is there's so much more than just you know putting out an image of somebody working out and trying to encourage and motivate people you know that's a big part of it you know but there's certainly a lot more to it so you know, we delved into it to to try to create more of a wellness model that was kind of rooted in in a lot of our cultural values. And just kind of going around Native Country with my work with Native Wellness Institute, the the focus was always on, on for sure, was pinpointing historical trauma and was healing. Um, but we didn't see the inclusion a lot of bringing a healthy lifestyle, once again, as, as far as our physical health, or bringing our foods right back in, into the conversation of healing or bringing movement and you know, into the conversation, we're really seeing that so much too. And I think that that's sort of like our generation's contribution. Like it's what we're doing in this, this, all of us living here and now. So we really kind of just tried to go forward, you know, with that and just develop it over the years. And later on, we became a family and, and we realized that everything we were, we were coming up with and creating and learning about and putting into practice and sharing about and doing workshops and trainings on was, we're things that we have this opportunity now to, to live that and to model that and to, to show that. And I think that that's one of the most uh, powerful things we can do is just model that, you know, model that, that, that wellness of that good life for all of our families to see, you know, we're, we're strengthening that spirit that of wellness that brings families together and creates healing once again, too, you know, when, when anyone participates in that. And so, and so, you know, that's, that's how it, we got to where we are with it today and, As you said, now we are really, you know, as a young family moving forward with that.
1: And it is so awesome to me because uh, every summer now for the last three summers, I've worked with College Horizon Scholars, which Mm -hmm. is a new program um, that serves Native students who are about to start college. And Mm -hmm. Dasha and Chelsea, you have both come to be a part of that program and having um, the programming of scholars is like half kind of academic i teach them a course about settler colonialism they take a writing seminar but we really focus in on the wellness side of it and having for culture come is really one of the cornerstones of that and it is so cool to watch like every year just seeing the group come together in the days that like either thosh or thosh and chelsea are there and actually Ella was there um Uh, before she was born. (laughs) Um, But uh, to see them kind of come together as a group and be like outside and moving and laughing and and to see the ways the stories about what we put in our bodies, like the mm-hmm. food that we eat, like how to navigate a dining hall mm-hmm. when you have your ancestors in mind, like these things that are going to be so key for them to be whole and mm-hmm. happy people in college that come out of these wellness conversations. So I'm just so grateful for the work you mm-hmm. do because I really see it, the impact of it every summer. Um, and it's also really fun. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I love all the like little games and mm-hmm. seeing them crack up as they like try and Uh, sit on each other's laps in a circle and play the bear mosquito Mm -hmm. salmon and all sorts of stuff. So it's work that is making Mm -hmm. such an impact both, like I think a lot of people think that it might just be like the social media level of things or the stuff, but the in-person community mm. work that you both are doing is so, so transformational, mm. and I think has really changed the conversation mm. in Indian country, which I think is so exciting mm. to see the evolution of it, because we've known y'all for a while.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's awesome. Thank really you for that. that.
1: Yeah,
0: because you guys came to Swinomish with Native Wellness. You did I I don't know if you were there, Thash, No, but, I wasn't at that yeah, one. Yeah, there's a training Native Wellness did in Swinomish, and people still talk about it. Yeah. Because there's really not very many conversations that are being facilitated at at home, on the res, around healing from historical trauma, looking at traditional food diets, Mm -hmm. looking at maybe ways that we can include traditional exercise or movement. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not really as many conversations around that as you would think, except from a Western perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Except for building a clinic and then... Having Western doctors come in who prescribe things and like that can really, in a lot of ways, perpetuate the same cycle. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah.
3: Absolutely. exactly. I think with that training, too, they were doing a trauma informed care for all of the employees and some of the tribal officials that work for Swinmish were all part of that, too. Mm
0: hmm. It's really important.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, What we've realized is that, again, we have all of these teachings that come from our ancestors that many, many, actually the majority of people in indigenous communities already have an understanding of because we were raised with these teachings. We learn about balance. We learn about the importance of maintaining balance and how to achieve getting back into balance if you've fallen out of that. We learn about um, what many tribes call the medicine wheel, which is a mental, physical, emotional and spiritual model. And then we also have these other values like environmentalism and these family values, um, this this understanding of spirituality and the interconnectedness of all things, like your podcast, All My Relations, it's totally relevant to the mm-hmm. wellness conversation. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of uh, connecting those dots and showing you know, again, um, the Western model hasn't been working for us. Um, and so it's been so nice to see so many people being able to reconnect and actually, um, embark on a meaningful wellness journey when they're able to connect it to the culture, because unfortunately that's not something that you're going to find in a brochure at a clinic or through a visit to a regular dietitian or physician. Um, so (laughs) I guess I think, you know, we're not teaching anything new. We're not inventing the wheel. Mm -hmm. We're just simply, um, I think assisting in connecting the dots.
3: Yeah. We, and we hope to, to help to try to shift even the whole mindset in regards to health or the approach or to restore, um, that faith once again um, within our own practices and we, we get the opportunity too to go and travel all around native country and and to in addition to workshop and working with communities and youth, you know it's it's also a lot of we get the opportunity to go and speak to large audience of of, of physicians you know and phds and such and and um, I think we, we're really happy that it seems like it's it's turning in that direction that that ancestral knowledge is starting to get valued once again and we know that for a long, long part of our of our existence is 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 not just as indigenous people but all human beings. We're in great health up until, you know, recent time, up until industrialization and, you know, the introduction of industrial food um complex and such. Uh you know, pharmaceutical industry more recently and now we're seeing it kind of go in that direction. We're seeing, you know, communities and directors of 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 of, of health programs that are trying to how do we bring in indigenous foods? How do we bring in, you know, our traditional healers and how do we bring in, um, you know, other movement practices and make it, make it more whole. So we're not, you know, continuing to just uh, perpetuate just, just dated models that are just not working for our people. And, you know, there's most science exists ever in human history, the most medication and medicine or so-called, you know, non-native medicine exists, but you know, we're, we're just sicker than ever. Mm. And so, it's, um, we hope to help to, to shift that, that mindset and, and to bring it back and recenter it around an indigenous worldview once again in regards to our health.
0: Yeah.
3: Sometimes
1: Matika and I get so excited by what the guests say that we forget that we're supposed to facilitate the next question. We're like, yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the topic of today that we kind of were thinking about was this idea of whole family wellness. Um and you Said earlier Thosh, that strong communities are built by strong families, Mm -hmm. which I love. I think that's such an important idea And so if you're thinking of this idea of an indigenous whole family wellness, like what would that mean to you? What does that look like?
3: I think that that definitely for myself that that means that we are we are as a family as a unit consciously breaking down the unhealthy lifestyles unhealthy behaviors that we learn from dominant culture. Mm-hmm. It's that we are intentionally setting in place new cultural practices, ones that are revitalized or ones that are evolved. We're creating those within our home because we're conscious of that. We have trauma in, in our history, but we're also conscious of the intergenerational wisdom that we have, that we were raised with that's holding us up from our different areas and so I believe that for me, what that is, is acknowledging those things in the moving forward, very consciously, like every day has to be a, a conscious effort to restore harmony, balance, health, wellness, acknowledging the spirit all around us in, in our homes, you know, acknowledging our actions and the repercussions that may be associated whether positive or negative and how and how we go into the future. And I believe it's it's centering our 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 family once again as a as a unit that 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 represents and, and, and reveres all life and and has a good sacred relationship with food once again and really honors roles in our in our in our household, but also breaks down those old, you know, colonial influences of patriarchy and such in our homes and even revitalizing or or reframing and rediscussing on what is um, our roles even you know we know our roles that where I come from they were a male-led system and um, but we know that that male-led system can't can't flourish today can't thrive today because of the influence of, of patriarchy influence of dominant culture so in our home too where we're constantly um, figuring out how do we how do we operate? You know what I mean. Is man, is woman here? Is is partner? You know, husband, wife, and child, and and really uh, putting together um, and dis- we discuss this stuff all the time in our home. But mm. like, these are our conversations at home. <laughs> i sorry, these are our discussions at home all the time. It's like redefining what is our roles for us here and now today. And let's create that because you know we 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 see already that you know our daughter's not even two, and and she she acts how we act and she copies everything like literally she copy everything and so we're seeing that you know and we've been told this a lot growing up in our communities right we can talk all we want but if we're not modeling and displaying this kind of good good lifestyle then you know the children won't follow they're going to follow in what we do so i think that that's my one a part of my my idea of that 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 healthy family from an indigenous standpoint and being a part of community and a really acknowledging extended network in kinship clanship in our community it's, i think it's a big part and we actively go and try to take Aloe around things in the community and introduce her to people and you know actively take her to spend time with her grandma and her grandpa on this side and also with her family in north dakota because we know that she comes from a large network and that large network it's interconnected and they're that's going to bring it's going to help raise her so i really you know as a family we believe that it's important to reinstall that teaching and that idea that, you know, um, our, our communities raise our children, not just our, you know, families that are kind of apart, you know? So that's, that's my, my, my thought towards that in a nutshell.
2: So I really believe that, um, yes, healthy tribal nations start with strong families and strong families start with strong individuals. And so, uh, I just really encourage everybody, especially in your younger years to just find that sense of empowerment and that sense of independence for yourself, create your own passions, your own work, um, your own motivations. And then, uh, from there healthy relationships can begin and can thrive. And so, uh, one of the things that I also, uh, kept in mind when I did begin what I call my wellness journey, um, I would say around the age of 23 or 24 was that, you know, I really did think to myself, I am going to be a mother one day. And, and how do I want to present myself? Who do I want to be? How am I going to model life for this precious child that hopefully one day I may have? And, um, So I think that's a really, um, for anybody, you can think about that. Even when you're young, you can think maybe I'll be a parent one day and who do I need to be? And, and for me, that required years of preparation because I was irresponsible in a number of ways and I wasn't healthy in a number of ways. And so, um it it was really motivating for me to be able to think into the future like that. And, uh, so that's how I was able to, I guess, start uh, my commitment to becoming strong and, uh, focusing on my physical, uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness. And, um, and that is absolutely the foundation for a future of wellness for my daughter, because as Tash mentioned, she, she really does. She copies everything. She mimics everything. And, um, you know, hopefully, we're showing her the right stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Sash, you wrote this piece that both Matika and I um, think is just so powerful and special uh, called A Dad's View on Supporting Breastfeeding. And in it... um Uh, I was going to read a quote from it. So he said, the role of fathers has changed a lot from pre-colonial times. According to oral traditions, uh, in some indigenous nations, men were less involved than women in the day-to-day care of the infants and babies for several reasons. Today our culture has greatly shifted as a result of colonialism, so it's our job to evaluate the ways in which we need to be supportive in this new context. Across native country is a resurgence of strong indigenous fatherhood that is loving, generous, and involved in every way. Being supportive of breastfeeding is just one step, a very important one, to reclaiming power through good parenting. I love that. (laughs) Like, it's so beautiful. And you gave us uh, seven ways that fathers um, can support in breastfeeding. And they were cook, bring water, and wake up in the night. (laughs) Never say that's a woman's job. Take on more household duties. Learn to occupy baby provide moral support and assist her in breastfeeding in public.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, God, yes. <laughs> so,
1: how do you think that the conversation on fatherhood needs to shift in Indian country?
3: Yeah, I mean, just like what I was saying in there and kind of like what I said earlier is that the 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 role of of men in our communities obviously was as, as a different way in a pre-colonial time, but we're, we're the, our world has changed, right? Our, our world has changed, and even our conception of what so is so-called traditional <laughs> has changed in our terms of ro- of our roles too. And a lot of times, I hear a lot of men asking, you know, well, what did our ancestors do back then when this happened and that happened? And I would say, well, you know, I think that we're smart enough to to make our decisions here and now and give ourselves that permission to act to act in accordingly, and to to change protocol in a way that's going to serve us here and now, mm-hmm. you know. And so. I think that with father uh, fatherhood from an indigenous perspective is definitely one of those areas where our world has changed. And we know that most of us uh, are in homes where we have to, you know, leave to go to work or the woman has to leave to go to work. And we're no longer operating in a sense that we did before where all the women were together out working and the babies were in their cradle boards propped up against the trees you know and the men were out hunting and doing talking about men's affairs and stuff like that you know there was a community to help raise raise children it's different today and the women don't have those kinds of support in a lot of instances and oftentimes as we know a lot of our women are raising children by themselves and so for the fathers that are present I, i believe that it's important that they re, that they reevaluate and 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 to look at what is what is the man's um, what is what of the what what in these teachings are really ours, and what are the dominant society's influence because we hear that a lot a lot of people men in our communities their mindsets towards certain topics they don't realize to me it has been influenced by dominant culture it's been influenced by a western patriarchy but yet they don't realize that and it's you know and those are some things that I think us younger men the generation and we're we're seeing that we're saying hey that's actually not our teaching but somehow the old generation has adopted that and is, is is continuing to 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 spew it out in, in, in a chiefy way <laughs> you know and so i think that those are some things that we have to do and and be able to find out um you know what is truly our ways and and recreate that and so that's something i discovered real quick you know with within our our household that that you know once she's there with that the the infant she needs a lot of assistance a lot of assistance and and a lot of help needs to be done and you know she's happy to have to breastfeed the baby and all these things. And so, you know, dishes are not going to get done, you know, food's not going to just start cooking and start popping and sizzling by itself, you know, and, you know, things are going to need to be cleaned up. And I think that that's what I've seen, you know, in our home for sure. And I thought, and I kind of already did a lot of those things to begin with, but it was definitely more so to take on that responsibility once I seen her, how, how, how much the baby requires of her, of her attention. And then I think that's where, you know, we can do things like, Hey, you know, let's step up and let's do something different. Maybe they're not used to cleaning, you know, maybe it might, it might help everything flow a little bit more. But, um, so yeah, I mean the breastfeeding in public is, is another big one too, that, that, um, for me, it was an honor to be able to create this space, you know, for her. And still to this day, sometimes when she Mm -hmm. likes a sheet to go up, you know, and, you know, get to stand up and cover that there and, and sit there and, and, I, you know, uh, hold that space in a good way And I would always be sitting there looking and waiting for someone to walk by and make a comment Because we've heard horror stories that women have been shamed And comments have been made to them for, you know, breastfeeding in public But luckily we haven't had that We haven't had that at all So it definitely looks good in society, even out in dominant culture You know, that that's it, that, that whole that whole mindset is shifting But absolutely, I think that Native fathers across the board can really reevaluate how 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 interactive they are based on what they see needs, you know, in their own way. But that's just that's just my view though.
2: And I I I really think that one thing that Thosh is really good at is moral and emotional support. And he really acknowledges and respects the work that I am doing. Breastfeeding is not just oh it's work, like hours and hours and hours. I mean, every week, every day out of your life that you have to be focused. And it's physical work, carrying the baby, nourishing yourself. Um, and so just even just having him there to respect that and to recognize that and to agree with me like, yeah, you're putting in work like nice, you know, thank you for doing this for our child like that. It means a lot. And then also um, postpartum, of course, like you said, you know, your whole body changes, everything changes you know it, for me it was this really intense dichotomy of feeling more beautiful and more powerful than i've ever felt in my life carrying a baby and having that child and going through that like unbelievable experience of childbirth but then also um feeling insecure and like really different especially me having been um you know always been really in touch with my body and very um into fitness and and being strong and lifting weights and all this stuff. And then suddenly for like a number of months following um, childbirth, not physically not being able to do the things that I was once doing and now being presented with a new physical challenge of child rearing. And so the moral support was so key for Thosh to always be there to tell me that I'm beautiful, to always be there to tell me that I'm doing a good job and, um, you know, that he's um, grateful to be in my presence and in the presence of our baby girl and that he feels honored to be, you know, the father in our little family. Like, man, he's really good about that. <laughs> 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 and you know what, though? Like, I see you all tearing up and, and I feel that too. <laughs> and why is this so rare? I
1: know, that's why. You know, I, like, you like that's. That. <laughs> like, this, this should be how it always is, Yes. You know?
2: Yeah. Like, I feel so two ways about it. Like, on one hand, I'm like, yes, I want Thosh to have all the praise in the world for that. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm like, dudes, oh, dudes, like, this shouldn't be so irregular. You know, it's like, step it up, guys.
3: And that's step why step men's, men's uh, total health and wellness are, mm-hmm. or emotional wellness is a big thing. And I think that obviously we uh, you know our people have suffered from a number of different aspects right because of our colonialism and such and i think that that the women have been carrying carrying us as 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 nations for a long time and, and caring and stepping up and look at all the big movements that are happening today look at all the change makers you know that are happening they're all women and all of you here and uh you know i think it's 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 important that our men are able to, we're able to foster young men that's going to see that shift in roles within our gender and see the importance of it and, and to honor that and to respect that and to create a space that's going to help to support and allow, that flourish, and allow that to flourish. And I think it starts with, with our young people too and teaching that, that reverence mm-hmm. for, for life and the role of a father is very different today and we have mm-hmm. to evolve that.
2: Yeah, I know, you're right, you know, and I and I should take that back. I shouldn't say, like, just step it up, like, it's that easy, <laughs> right. you know, and that's the thing is I do respect and acknowledge all of the traumas mm-hmm. that our people have been through, and I know why our communities suffer in the way they are today, and mm-hmm. it's not just us. It's the rest of the world, mm-hmm. too. Like, there's this big disconnect between, like, our natural, who we're supposed to be, our humanity, our connection to each other, life, the earth, everything, and it's all interconnected, um, so yeah, it is, it just takes a lot of healing work and, um, yeah, I just, I really hope to see more of that happening in the future. And then I think, you know, the good thing about, uh, Thosh having the platform that he does and demonstrating that is that young men, first of all, young women can see that healthy relationships are possible, um, I have been in several very unhealthy relationships prior to being with Dosh. So I know what it's like. It's not fun. It's the absolute opposite of being told you're beautiful every day. It's 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 feeling um lesser than yourself, you know, with the with the negative influence of of an unsupportive partner. And so I've been there and I understand it. So first of all, it's good for I think young people to see, you know, healthy relationships are possible, very possible. And then the other thing is to see that, um, you can be so happy in a, in a committed, family oriented, you know, healthy relationship. That's just, we have a quiet little life, you know, Um, we're not wealthy. We're not, um, you know, all the time, like busy and having all these like cool things around us all the time. Like we really, for the most part, like we have a quiet little, simple little life and we're very happy and so, um, I I think with the distractions and the crazy stuff that especially our young people are seeing on social media today, maybe they're thinking to themselves, "Oh, I need 15 girlfriends, and I never want to settle." You have that whole aspect, but hey, like remember, people like you can be really happy in a in a calm, committed, family oriented way. Yeah
3: yeah we also heard a lot of we got a lot of unsolicited advice when we were caring, you know especially when we were out in the world and and you know we took everything from everybody out of respect, you know, but like the one thing that we heard from people who who follow a more dominant cultural view and are into this everyday kind of normal ordinary type of life and mindset they would all had this dreadful kind of thing they were like, Oh, oh, get ready, your whole life's out of door <laughs> You know, she's like, they were like, enjoy it while you can because it's going to be gone and over. They're going to grow up and they're gonna not going to listen to you. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yeah, there was just this, like this really dreadful negative. advice that I thought, man, this is like very unfortunate because this is not what the teachings I heard growing up about raising a family. Mm. And so I think that, you know, that's one of my biggest things, too, is that. You know, how can we help as a community share those real true teachings Mm -hmm. about bringing life and fostering life as opposed to letting the dominant society's views get in there, you know, and, and influence our people in a negative way.
1: Chelsea, you have written publicly about a lot of different aspects of motherhood, um, from breastfeeding to traveling with baby and um, all sorts of things. And you've also talked a bit about how the internet and social media can be really hard in terms of folks sharing their opinions about your choices around parenting. So how do you navigate all of those sort of opinions and judgy faces from people about your choices?
2: yeah that's a great question and I think um the first thing for for me is to try to remain as protective as I can of Aloe's privacy and of her personal information so one thing is that we don't share pictures of her face on social media we decided that well before she was born that that wasn't something that we were going to be doing and and as I've gotten further into the parenting, uh, journey, I've realized, uh, that, that decision has been affirmed for me Mm -hmm. for sure. And then, um, you know, it's really tempting. It's tempting to share everything and, um, to, for others to experience your joy, but also because as a parent, you're just so proud. But then again, there's also that privacy issue. And so I think it's just something that people might, um, might want to think twice about. And then the other thing is like medical information. People want to know, like, I don't know why, but they're so curious. Do you vaccinate your kid? Um, does she, has she ever had X, Y, or Z ailments? Like how much does she weigh? What time of day was she born? I don't necessarily want people having this information. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then I think just practicing what we preach. I, I really honestly don't judge other parents. Um, yes, we may offer advice because we are wellness advocates. That's our job so we offer advice we share what works for us and what doesn't the same goes for all wellness stuff honestly not just for the parenting and pregnancy aspect but for everything there's no room for judgment in wellness we have to understand that because the thing is like we're all unique our family situations are unique our careers are unique Um, our babies are so unique and different Mm -hmm. from one another. If you talk to a parent who has multiple children, even they'll tell you like, whoa, like kid one was so different from kid two in terms of behavior and, um, medical stuff and just every, you know, attitude and emotions, everything is different from parent to parent and from child to child and situation to situation. And so we just need to stop judging one another stop telling each other what to do stop insisting to one another like this is the best way this is the only way because you know we're all individuals and we definitely should just respect those journeys Mm -hmm. in the same right i've gotten some great advice from Mm. aunties cousins friends etc advice is fine when it's given in a loving way and i think that yeah you can always tell (laughs) right you can always tell when it's like really loving and Mm -hmm. stuff and um, so I'm not telling people to like, stop the conversation. I think the conversation should definitely happen, but, um, but yeah, just in, in that good way.
0: <laughs> yeah. <seriously>. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, um, I've been finding it like it very difficult to find ways to work out that is, You know, like I can't do, I don't feel like I can do the things that I used to be able to do. And then also I've gotten a lot of conflicting information, you know, Mm. like, um, you know, like your, your health practitioner says, keep exercising the way that you exercise. Okay. Well, the way that I exercise is that I ran several miles a day and I did hot yoga and neither of those things feel like healthy, pregnant things to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking, you know, I've been doing like the prenatal yoga, but there's no like information from an indigenous perspective about how to take care of your body. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, you know, have you guys thought about that, Mm -hmm. about, about sharing that information? What are some of your wellness practices with like, you know, body composition?
2: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) Um, That's a great question. Um, uh, I had those same questions myself, too, when I was pregnant, because like I mentioned, first trimester was especially difficult for me. Just I had zero energy. Um, I mean, I was weight training four times a week and, uh, you know, running and doing um, like a pretty intense yoga practice. And like suddenly none of that stuff felt good anymore. So I just think our ancestors have always known how to listen to their bodies and to respond to those and to just remain connected, not just outwardly, but inwardly. And so, like, listen to yourself, you know, if something doesn't feel good, if it hurts, if it's draining, um, you know, switch it up. Uh, I think movement is our medicine. And it, and if we can, it is important to continue some form of movement practice through our pregnancy. Um, and I also feel that if, if a, a, a pregnant woman should be empowered to know that if she does wish to continue lifting heavy weights and whatever it may be, and if it does feel okay to you, then also, you know, on that same right, don't let somebody tell you that you shouldn't be doing that. It's just like Listening to our own bodies and reconnecting, I think, inwardly is is really important. The other thing to keep in mind is that, uh, y- you know, you produce, what, like two or three times as much blood in your body when you're pregnant, and uh, your organs are all working like totally on overdrive. Everything is going toward building this baby. And so just by sitting there, you're exerting so much more energy as a pregnant woman than you are if you're not pregnant. And so for society to recognize that and like, if I'm pregnant and like need to lay down all day or if I'm really tired and all I can do is go for a walk or a light stretch, you're still working hard. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still working hard mama, so like keep going Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and good for you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Mm self-love. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. What are the ways in this modern world that we can indigenize our lives daily? And, you know, I know like most native people live in cities now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that it's devoid of, of an indigenous identity, just because one is living in a modern world. I think that's a major mm-hmm. misconception that people think that mm-hmm. our people haven't always been very modern mm-hmm. and contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what are some ways that you connect with, with that, with your traditional teachings? How do you t- bring that forward? You know, like a day in the life. And then also what are some of your hopes and dreams for the future?
3: Yeah, that's a great one. It's a great subject and with our work, we work a lot with communities in rural areas, we work a lot with native people in urban areas and just across the board as human beings that we are all facing the same issues, right? And we see this you probably see this in your work too a lot and and I, I myself too, I'm I'm not really a fan of of that concept where people talk about, you know, like a an urban Indian, you know, my air air quotations, you know, uh, as opposed to any other type of native. I, I believe that 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 too is is placing up this this really um, it's just it. it places this this categories within our people and we've done that's happened to us enough right so we don't we don't need to do that with each other's and but however many of our people living in urban areas are are living a very different lifestyle and i I always like we always say is that you know it's how we carry ourselves, right it's how we walk in our life and our everyday Uh, it's about carrying our teachings and walking in those ways and applying our teachings into everything that we do whether we're on the community we're out walking around in dominant culture is about carrying those teachings, and and that's what we have a saying that says that that that's um, that's a uh, meaning that um, the way of life of our people. But it, there's more that goes into it. They say it's how you walk. It's it's walking from the heart, and that you can do that no matter where you're at. And that's, I think, one of the most important things that many of our people can do is is to walk in the same way and, and treat others in the same way that our ancestors treated, to think indigenous and to feel and to act in the way that our ancestors live, and, and, and whatever that is for that person and, you know, really reaching into the heart and opening up their mind, their consciousness, and their spirit to be allowed to be controlled in a good way. not, not controlled, but allowed to be our ancestors to work through us. And I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do as Native people, whether we're in our communities or in urban areas, is to walk in that good way.
2: Um, I think wellness is actually a really good example of that. Just practicing wellness from an indigenous perspective, um, looking at life holistically and and taking care of ourselves um, with that balance in mind. Uh, you don 't it doesn 't matter where you are or who you are or where you come from. Uh, those are indigenous teachings, and we can practice those on a day to day basis and then not only that, but like look what we 're doing here now. you know you all are, are hosting this podcast and inviting us as guests like understanding that like i 'm a breastfeeding mom, I have my daughter with me everywhere i go i 've never spent more than i think an hour and a half or 2 hours apart from her and the fact that you all are so inviting of that and respectful of that and um you know it's 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 a privilege that many women are not afforded in today's world but it's one that our ancestors always valued is that a woman would not have to be separated from her baby and so um so that's another way right to in today's um today's crazy world like no matter if we're in the city if we're um on the res somewhere in between like we can we can honor those practices and support uh mothers and families in raising their children how they want to Mm
1: -hmm. When you start to think about what an indigenous future for Aloe would look like, what are some of the things that you hope her world and her her view looks like.
3: Yeah, I love that. And that's why a lot of us do the work that we do, right? Because everything we're doing is is about growing that future, right? It's 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 the future is something to grow. And that all the work that we're doing is laying the groundwork, right? And that's that's probably like the realizations you're coming to, you're like, oh my God, the work I've been doing is all leading up to this and the future of my child. And absolutely and from a community perspective, what I what I what I see in the future is that is that Aloe is, is, is raised around a supportive community. Other people in the community are aunties, uncles, her grandmas, grandpas and brothers and sisters and can, can treat her accordingly and she can treat them accordingly and to restore those ways in a community sense and to grow up in a, com- in a, in a community that replaces indigenous values at the center as opposed to Uh, Some sort of policy that's conflicting, you know, that's influenced from dominant culture to, to, to be raised in a community that's going to value the protection of our land, right? And value. Uh, value enterprises that are congruent with our cultural value system and to to grow up in that and to grow up where where health is placed at the center and they're teaching wellness to children in schools and and they are teaching a language once again and our people are more accepting of our of our knowledge and our wisdom and not asking for people to be coming from you know accredited institutions for everything and and to place that 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 um emphasis once again and placing the, the 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 trusting once again within our our cultural systems right that have been in place and to you know she would grow up in a, it's a community that would really f- uh, f- put that in the center again to foster growth and I think that all of those things are are fostering confidence they're they're fostering um empowering for all of our young people and to to be self-actualized so I mean that's that's the hopes you know the hopes is to that our songs, our dances, our ceremonies are continued to be utilized to help to promote wellness mm-hmm. and to, to give our children something unique to be able to express themselves and to celebrate their life. And that maybe she grow up in, in a community that where the schools value the kids to, to learn in different ways. Out ways right to learn by experience to learn to to foster emotion intelligence and to 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 hear the creation stories of their ancestors to to listen to the songs and the language being spoken in the schools and all that and so that's you know those are just some of the things um that I view And my hopes And for the future of, of all of our children And I believe that Us here and now In our generation The ball has to start Somewhere right And oftentimes People say Oh well these Is going to take You know That's not going to Happen overnight And of course It's not going to Happen overnight And all of us That are in this work Of of trying to in- Increase our Indigeneity And, and re- help restore our, our people We understand that Right All the work That all of you Are doing Is that It took hundreds Of years For us to get To this point It's going to take some generations for people to to find our harmony and our balance once again adjusting in this world and but it has to start somewhere you know i know that that the work i do that some of the the visions that i see i know that i may not see that in my lifetime but i'm okay with that it's about that future generation then you know that at some point you're going to be an ancestor watching all that go on that you had helped build and you were there guiding them and giving that, you know, so it's seeing so far into the future, having that generational thinking. I think that, that it's really important. We all have that for our children to be able to see that in the future played out in a good way. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Thank you both, Wado, thank you so much for taking this time today to come talk with us. Thank you, Alo, for participating. Uh, and just, we're truly so grateful for your work and your words and your wisdom and hope um, that there's a lot here that I think a lot of different folks can resonate with. So Wado, mm-hmm. thank you.
3: Wado and Haiskasim to both of you for having us and being able to come over in Babylon. And it's just awesome to be in a part of the, this this great thing that the both of you have created. And again, you know, I appreciate of, of the work that you're doing in your own individual lives and and with students in academia with with helping to to. Repaint the picture of our people and and to create this awesome platform to just give a voice to more native people. And that's such an awesome thing. So we're just honored. Thank you again for having us. We appreciate it so
2: much. It's just an honor to be here and for welcoming our baby. Of course, that means the most to us. And um, we just love the podcast and we love all of the work Mm -hmm. that both of you do. And you're exactly the type of people that um, I'm so grateful that Aloe will have in her future Mm -hmm. to look up to to see. And um perhaps to model one day as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, well, you can always call me mm-hmm. when
2: you're big.
0: Yep. <laughs> if you need that auntie advice. When you need, when you need, need some fish.
3: When
1: you're hungry. <laughs> when you call your auntie.
3: <laughs> See? <laughs> Tell her I need some jarred salmon. <laughs> Send me some fish. <laughs> you're being good, I'm going to stay over there. <laughs> Work on the boat. Fisherman
1: language <laughs> 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 a critical race theory
0: much to sash and chelsea for sharing your wealth of knowledge and information with us you are continuously inspiring us and reminding us to recenter ourselves in wellness to reconnect and re-energize ourselves with our traditional wellness practices i'm so grateful for all the work you do
1: and if folks are interested in hearing more from Thosh and Chelsea, they have a podcast of their own, which they mentioned. Um, and they have a recent episode uh, called Indigenized Wellness and Stress Relief in Quarantine, which really provides great resources for you to listen to while we're all at home right now. And they just continue to keep putting out good work and resources for us. You can follow them at Culture on Instagram or wellforculture.com. And we're, again, just super grateful. Next week, we'll be talking with Kim
0: Smith, and it's a really beautiful episode talking about our relationship with land and our relationships with our bodies and our safety of body and how the two are interconnected.
1: Thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers who have helped make this work possible to our funding from the Wisteria Fund and the support from National Geographic Society's emergency fund for journalists. Also thank you to Sierra Sana uh, for her incredible episode art as always. And Teo Shantz, our incredible editor, sound mixer, tech support, moral support, everything guy.
0: We also found out that All My Relations was an honoree for the 2020 Webbies. Yay! <laughs> We're recognized in the diversity and inclusion category alongside some fantastic podcasts. And of course, that wouldn't be possible without all of you. So thank you so much for tuning in, for sharing, liking, subscribing, and sending this to all your people. We really
3: appreciate it. All My Relations.